0: Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck.
1: Hi, I'm Sean KB. And I'm A.P. Andy.
0: And we are here today with Ben Burgess. He is a professor of philosophy at Rutgers University, as well as author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left, which is now out on Zero Books.
2: Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. You've made
1: all the rounds and you finally made it around to us. How many pods and streams do you think you've been on in the last, I don't know, six months or so? Uh
2: I don't know. Uh you know, I, I think there's a out of the um but, you know, definitely I was rounding out the list of the, you know, of 200 or so communist podcasts. And I realized that I had gone on the edge to find it. It's excusable.
1: <laughs> uh, it just took time. That's all it was. So you, yeah. These things don't happen on it. But you're in the uh, Majority Report studio for the first time, which is I, beautiful. Welcome to I the know, place. I know. Uh, it's, uh,
2: it's a new experience. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm tingling a little bit.
1: <laughs> uh, be, uh, Sam's desk is right there, and you know Michael Brooks, that, that guy? Oh, yeah. He, sit, he sits right where you're sitting right now.
2: No, I've heard of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, He usually sits more where you are, or actually in between the two of you. Yeah, so. we'll,
1: we'll split the difference. Yeah. Uh, I'll be Michael, you'll be Brooks or something. It'll <laughs> be great.
0: You'll be Nation of Islam Obama, <laughs> and you can be a uh, homicidal Peter Thiel.
1: Yeah, so Michael basically Roberts. just Peter Thiel. <laughs> Michael Roberts. He has many faces. <laughs> um. So we before we begin the show we would like to give a huge shout out to all of our new patrons uh we have been getting a lot of support out there from the world of listeners and uh we very much appreciate all of it uh thank you so much to everybody who has become a super soldier at any level and uh we love you you're the best solidarity
3: and i want to thank aaron from sump coffee in st louis who made an antifada inspired finca mapache blend. <laughs> uh,
0: very exciting.
1: When uh, when do we get to uh, sample the tasty blend? I got some at my place. Get the fuck Ooh. out. Wow, awesome. Nice. Hell yeah. Anarcho mapache is spreading across the entire globe.
0: Yeah, now we can stop drinking the uh, majority report
3: blend. I told him, don't send me anything special. Just sweep a bunch of stuff off the floor and, and repackage it. So I assume that's what it is.
1: When there's a, a, an arachno-communism blend, then Jamie can feel, uh, feel mm-hmm. like she's really made it. We, we should maybe get some branded cocaine, some antifada-branded <laughs> cocaine. That'd be great. Oh, dear. If well, anyone knows anyone. So, Ben, super exciting. I do believe that in a certain category on Amazon, um give them an argument. Logic for the left is the number 1 book. Is that correct?
2: Uh yeah, it's uh it's not the uh it's not the category that uh the self-help books or harry potter or anything around that was a really dated reference uh
1: you know we're all showing our age it's fine. Uh, no one does cocaine uh... anymore <laughs>
2: yeah right no like...
0: yeah, the zoomers are all on xanax yeah oh, they just like take xanax and do butt stuff and <laughs> masturbate to garfield cartoons as far as i know
3: oh i got i have to tell this story really fast yeah please, i went yeah. to um a party for my high school lit mag this <laughs> weekend uh, like a reunion party where like you know students have their release of the new lit mag and they invite past lit mag alumni um and so i i mentioned when i was uh when i was reading my thing but before i read like most of my stuff is this tedious these tedious essays on Karl marx and as soon as i said Karl marx the room erupted into cheers and applause Whoa! Like 40 kids applauding Karl Marx at a high school. Wow.
2: Hey, that makes up for them not knowing what Harry Potter or cocaine is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, the Zoomers are going to be all right. I think they're going to save us.
2: Yeah, They might
0: only be saving us so they can eat us later, but I'm fine with
1: that. I mean, they're going to save us in the sense that they're going to flay us alive and, uh, you know, tan our skin and wear us as pelts uh, as they create uh, some sort of barbaric communism. They did have some poems about that. Did they? Yeah. Oh, they really did? Ooh. Wow. But it was
3: kind of just the typical angsty, you know, like okay, heartbreak poems. So
1: oh. like uh, socialism with Marilyn Manson characteristics. Mm-hmm. They love Londell Ray. Oh, I of dated myself again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kids
0: don't listen to Marilyn Manson. What I was, was like the up. youngest person at the Marilyn Manson concert <laughs> when I was there the day that the guns fell on him. Oh. The day the music died. <laughs> He has even fewer ribs now.
1: (laughs) He can can suck his ball back, too, in in addition to the other thing.
0: Man, I wish there was a a reunion for my lit mag, because I have never gone to a single reunion thing at my high school. I just wanted to get the fuck out of there uh, when I got out. But like, whoever's doing the lit mag now probably needs me to go there and tell them that it does get better.
1: I want to just
3: not the lit mag, just life and yeah, yeah. Lit <laughs> Mag stays the
0: same, <laughs> pretty much. Suck.
1: Uh, I want to circle back around because uh, Ben was doing a bit of a victory lap, and I want to say right off the bat as we talk about the success of his book, this does not mean you should not go out and buy it. You should still buy his book, buy the goddamn book. But Ben, congratulations on a very popular piece of uh, nonfiction.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, if if Amazon had even more, you know, finer grains. Categories like uh, books about arguments written by communists. Like I think that that would like
1: <laughs> you'd be in the top be three, in the top maybe ten or twenty, yeah. you know, easily. <laughs> nice, Ben. We've seen you all over the internet. We've read your book, which was a real pleasure, and we know that you teach at Rutgers and you do teach logic and philosophy. What was it that got you into this? We've never really heard the backstory of what got Ben Burgess into this particular sort of uh, you know philo- philosophical. Uh, I don't know area area scholarship (laughs) if you will
2: well I mean as far as philosophy in general um, I had you know I mean I think that uh, that was just kind of like trial and error I took classes in college that that I was interested in Uh, I was uh, taking a year off and working at a um, kosher grocery store and like I think I just randomly read this like Walter Kaufman collection on philosophy I was like this is fun you know I should try this when I get back and uh, and then when I was finishing up, I was like uh, loading and unloading boxes from trucks at Myers, uh, which is a big Midwestern grocery store chain and uh, didn't really have any particular plans. But I was like, yeah, you know, I've done pretty well in philosophy classes. I'll bet if I went to grad school, I could get like an assistantship and get paid to break grade papers and that would be better than this. And, uh, you know, it worked out. So uh, that turned out to be like a true prediction. You know, that was better. You know, that, uh, <laughs> grading papers. Sitting that, in
1: air conditioning and grading papers is better than uh, loading yeah, trucks. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, which is actually a, a remarkable number of the people who do it for a living, though, really don't have a good sense of what most jobs under capitalism are like. And so they they don't uh, I'm not I'm not telling anybody to count their blessings. You know, you should be like mad at your university administration or whatever. Always. But, uh, you know, but like the, the, I, I don't think there is often a sense of perspective about that. Um,
1: the adjunct situation in universities and universities in general, I'm not sure if you're tenure track or not, but no, no, uh, no, no, no. The, the exploitation that's happening, the precaritization of that Yeah, work well, We, we
2: been... had a really nice recent example of that at Rutgers because um, in – so the adjunct union uh, at Rutgers, of which I'm actually only going to be at Rutgers for a little while longer. I, I did get a full-time uh, job elsewhere, but – you know I was on the uh, executive board of the adjunct union at Rutgers and um and one of the things we've been pushing for for a long time is proportional pay which which be like in other words if you're if you're teaching like 3 quarters of what somebody would be teaching if they had a um if they had a full-time position and we're not talking about you know cuz people say oh no, no no you know tenure professors they do all this other stuff committees and, you know research this and that but just like a full-time non-tenure track lecturer Um, that you get paid proportionally to that. And the estimated cost of giving everybody uh, at Rutgers that proportional pay for a year is about $3 million. And to put this in perspective, Rutgers just gave... A bunch of top administrators six million dollars oh. in incentive bonuses on top hey of their god, salaries because they all think they did such a good job so Jesus double the
1: bonuses were double oh my god
0: that, if that doesn't give you class rage i don't know what will. speaking of which um i wanted to know well. how you got into marxism and being a leftist
2: Yeah, uh, so I read uh, I read the Communist Manifesto at a much earlier age than Jordan Peterson did. (laughs) Um, You know, which which just because like you know somebody who is curious and be like minimally curious about the world and like this you know hey this is a really important book might do that before they were sixty. Yeah, Um, sure. um, you know, uh, but, you know, I, and I think that like a lot of my early political activity, um, you know, God, this is a good day. Date me just as much as the Harry Potter cocaine. But, uh, <laughs> Go for it. Uh, the, a lot of the early political activity was about the anti-war movement in 2002, 2003. um, And uh, and then like there was, you know, and then there was a long time when, you know, when I wasn't that politically active that like I'd kind of, you know, like read like Luke Greenwald articles and argue with my liberal friends at the bar about drones. But like that was kind of the extent of things. Uh, But then, you know, I think when the Bernie campaign happened, you know, like a lot of people, I think I saw a renewed sense of, uh, you know, possibility there and, and, you know, joined DSA and all of that stuff. Um, And, um, and then, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably pretty like that's, that's probably so, so cliched that, uh, you know, like like that's, that's, such, a, that's such an un- unusual trajectory. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: And yet but, I never get sick of hearing it. <laughs>
1: no, I, I was going to say the same thing. Like, uh, I think that if people of a certain age, yeah. uh, we will not exactly date ourselves, but I think that anti-war thing and then into like the depressing mid-aughts and yeah. then coming out of that with the crisis and into obviously... Uh, you know, what we saw after Occupy and whatnot, that's been a real generational thing for uh, elder millennials like Jamie.
0: Indeed. Indeed. And like yourself.
1: No, I'm not a millennial. So Uh-oh. uh I'm, I'm an honorary Zoomer. Sorry. <laughs> and, they, they brought oh, me into really? that club. Yeah. Were you, you better watch me when you sleep.
0: They initiated you with the butt rituals. They
1: did butt rituals. They put some weird prosthetic th- uh, fangs on me and uh you know, like an anime uh, wig, and they did some weird, creepy rituals, oh and boy. now I'm in. Oh, I'm boy. A, I'm an official, not unofficial, I'm an honorary Zoomer.
2: I better sleep with when I open tonight. Coaching your pillow tight. So, you know, I, was, I was just thinking about the lyric, but then I was like, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Already done way too much dated to myself. Uh, uh, I'm not going to start quoting Metallica right now.
1: <laughs> I went there so you didn't have to.
0: This is a safe space for oldness. So it sounds like you have been a philosopher And dare I say a master debater since (laughs) before you've been a Marxist and I understand that your debate history goes back even to your childhood. So I I feel like we should go around the room a little bit and talk about our histories with the art of debate and maybe what uh, interesting figures, maybe some media figures who people might have heard of that we know from those times.
1: I've got a really short one. When I was in maybe eighth grade, I uh, had a science class, and they wanted us to do debates about stuff, so... The debate was uh, pro-nuclear energy versus anti. Mm. And by drawing straws, I got the pro one. And I said, well, you know, nuclear, I said a lot of things, but towards the end of it, like my, my preparation, you know, the way I ended it yeah. out was like, and plus the knockoffs from, um, you know, nuclear energy can help cure cancer. Things like chemotherapy, you know, is very important. So we wouldn't want to give up on nuclear. And the teacher's like, uh, you got a D because chemotherapy is not <laughs> uh, radiation therapy. And I said, damn it. So that was the end of my debating days.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a bit of a debater in high school. I will admit I was in it mainly for the poorly supervised trips that we would go on to debate tournaments in other prep schools around the country. And even in Canada,
1: So the debates were mostly about who can make out the best, uh,
0: yeah, who could like do the most underage drinking, yeah. stuff like that? I hope that my parents aren't listening, but they, they probably know already. Um, I remember.
2: Snort the most blow off the prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed.
1: That was the 90s. For I mean, you. prep
0: school, it, it is depraved. Like, I'm a little embarrassed to talk about my prep school past sometimes but i feel like it's important because i have like an inside look at the full depravity Mm. of the ruling class of this country so like i feel an obligation to share my insider knowledge
2: yeah when uh like when the brett kavanaugh thing happened i remember like when you know there was this whole um you know defense of him that was about you know well we'll just look at his trajectory through all these like you know sort of conventional success sequence through his life Eh, he must be a good guy and i was always like I don't know, like, this just, like, he just seems like everything about, I mean, normally I see, yeah, I went to prep school, and then he did this, and that. I was like, yeah, no, he's probably, like, so, like character in a Bredy Nellis novel right. who, like, has bodies in his basement. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Everything about that story checked out, <laughs> yeah. in terms of, like, what I know. But, like, two things real quick. So, one thing is that we, I once debated in political science class, shout out to Doc Saro. Very cool teacher. I, I read the uh, Communist Manifesto for the first time in this class in high school. Um, we debated the Patriot Act, and of course, oh. I was very much against it. And I said, you know, it's going to have far reaching implications, and they're not going to go away. They're going to be with us for a long time in terms of our ability to, like, The government's ability to spy on u.s citizens and whatnot and you were wrong the kid that i was debating against was like well all of these have sunset provisions so it's like really not going to be an issue how long
1: could the war of terror actually last for
0: and i take no comfort whatsoever in having been right about that but told you so told you so um also uh i i gotta say i know a famous person in the media, wow, I know a media is it? figure from. Is it, is it Michael Brooks? From the prep school it, debate circuit. Is it
1: Lil Nas X?
0: I don't. Michael Brooks was homeschooled, so it definitely <laughs> wasn't him. But uh actually, I know I always like to say that Barry Weiss is my black swan. But I think I was being a little gender essentialist about this because um, Barry Weiss isn't smart, and
1: yeah, it's true. And
0: I am kind of smart. I like to think sometimes she's so, ha- she's
1: hand razy smart. The yeah. Ac-
0: yeah, the actual person who I now think is my black swan who I know from high school is Jamie Kerchick, wow. the conserv the gay conservative writer. And he did not go to the same school as me. He went to a fancy boys school outside of Boston, but we were on team USA together when we were at the World Debate Tournament in Reading, England one year and Damn. you know, I wish I could say that he was always an asshole, but I liked him. Like <laughs> like in a in a place in a milieu where like being queer in any sense of the Mm. word was like incredibly frowned upon. Like I was drawn to him. Like he was considered he was an outcast for being gay. I was an outcast for being, you know, however the fuck I am. (laughs) And, uh, he wasn't really in your face about politics. And I, I would remember if he had been, because I was very into being a liberal Mm. at that point in time. You know, I hated George W. Bush and, uh, the Iraq war and all that shit. But like, I thought he was cool. And then I, I've run into him periodically throughout my life, and he's always very nice to me. And the last time I saw him was actually at uh, that party hosted by Milo uh, at the uh, RNC. and The
1: one that got you doxxed by people on the, the internet. The one that got me doxxed C- by me. you on the internet. You
3: went there because you like Milo and
1: right, you think he's yeah. cool. Yeah, exactly. and you're secretly, you're yeah, you're secretly was, all right. I was chasing
0: yeah. the clout of being yes. in a picture with Milo, and I saw Jamie Kirchick there, and I was like, this party sucks, huh? And he's like, oh, totally. <laughs> So I just like I've, I've said this before on Twitter, but once again, uh, Jamie to Jamie, I would like to <laughs> extend a, a, a golden reach around. OK, an invitation. <laughs> if you want to bail on the ever shrinking, never Trump right <laughs> and come to the left, we actually have cool parties. Oh, yeah. Um, no one wants to kill you for being gay. Yep, yep. And it's just it's just better here.
1: Wow, uh, well, I think the the best thing to do in this instance is to put Jamie Kirchick's, uh Twitter handle in the show notes, mm-hmm. and everybody can try to convince him very nicely, folks, that uh, you know he should start batting for the right team.
2: Indeed. How about uh... sounded borderline homophobic? But that's... <laughs>
1: oh, I, di- I did not mean it in that yeah, sense yeah. at all. He should, if he comes on the left, I I, I would hope that uh, everybody that comes here is just a little more queer than uh, when they arrived. Mm-hmm.
0: So. How about you, uh, Ben? What's your debate history and who do you know from it?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, when you're talking about the Patriot Act, you know, it made me think about um, when uh, I was in uh, college already, when the Iraq War was uh, was getting, uh, was being led up to, and I remember, but even in high school, you know, I remember like when I'd I'd get into like arguments with teachers about like, you know, they... because, you know, when the like the Madeleine Albright stuff was happening, and we were getting ready to bomb Iraq again. Uh, and I was, and like, you know, this is another one of these things, like, you know, you don't really take a lot of satisfaction to thinking back to, you know, I was like, yeah, but like, how do you know there are these like weapons? And, you know, and they're like, oh, no. I mean, like, surely, because like intelligence, whatever, like, obviously.
1: It was like a trial run for what happened a few years because it was, it was 1998. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep. And then, like, uh, then a few years later, like 2002, we went to war. I remember like having an argument with like a really. Like a fairly liberal political science, like Democrat political science professor who is still, you know, who's like, yeah, well, of course there are these like weapons in Iraq. I was like, no, 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 but seriously, but like, how do you know, right? You know, right. And it was like, oh, come on, surely, you know, the CIA, whatever, you know, like, like, uh, of course there are, right? You know, that's not a question. Um, But, um, but yeah, before all that in high school, when I was a f- freshman in high school, I only did it for a year. But I was on the East Lansing High School debate team in Michigan, uh, as was one Nate Silver.
1: What another big reveal? Nate Silver of Vox.com, is it? Or uh, what is he in? So uh, five thirty eight. Five thirty. 530. His... Oh, he's the wonky he's polls the... guy. He's right?
0: the he's the wonky polls guy turned uh, naked ideologue. Correct? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No.
2: Exactly. So he. Uh, so yeah, he's the founder of the of five thirty eight. He, um, which has been at various points hooked up with the New York Times and ESPN. Uh, he started i mean originally he was like a wonky like baseball stats guy, and then he kind of drifted into being a wonky politics guy, like you know, stats guy and the and like the pretense was always that he wasn't like a political pundit or anything in fact, right. what he was doing, like this was always his big claim was that he was bringing this, like, statistical rigor to, like, how we talk about elections to, like, sort of cut down on the bullshit of horse race punditry. Um, and to an extent, that used to be, you know, not totally wrong. Like, he would, like, it was always clear that he did have some pretty bad politics. Like, he, uh, like, in his book, The Signal and the Noise, he has this, like, fawning interview with Colin Powell. Mm. Um, and... He and he's definitely got a take in that book on the um, the housing crisis and the 2008 collapse. That it was you know. the
1: fault of uh, black uh, homeowners. <laughs> Is that what it was?
2: Yeah, that like, uh, or 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 like, basically, he's got this like view that like it was about people like you know the the problem with like these loans and everything was like people like you know. Not being good enough at math or whatever, not like you know, not like a problem about God. like you know, an incredibly parasitical yeah. industry engaged in reckless it's practices. A, it's a personal
1: accounting issue that we ran into. It's just yeah, uh, yeah. large enough to be systemic. I exactly, got it.
0: someone yeah. forgot to carry the one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, independently, which, tens of millions of uh, <laughs> of mortgage holders uh, forgot to carry the
2: uh, yeah. yeah. Whoops, right, 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 right. which have probably I mean, like literally. There are people who otherwise would have worked for NASA or did work for NASA who are hired to work for these companies to like mathematically hide, you know, what they were doing. The idea being that if there was any ever anybody in a regulatory agency who could actually follow the bundling, they would be immediately offered a better job at the company, you know. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, so obviously, you know, he was he was always the very worst kind of centrist, but like, you know, like my line for a long time, I was kind of a Nate Silver defender. I was like, look. He doesn't have great politics, but that's not really what he does, right? What he's doing is like, you know, doing this poll crunching and like he's doing some like, like 2012 was this big vindication of the Nate Silver stuff because the media kept trying to make it much more of a horse race Mm -hmm. than it was. He was Mm -hmm. always like, "No, no, no, but like look at the trends in the polls, you know? And it's like, okay, fair enough as far as it goes. But here's the thing. Like as – like especially after the New York Times contract came down, like the terms of these contracts, New York Times, ESPN, they had to like put out this constant amount of content, right? Mm-hmm. So um, like literally to the point – and keep in mind, this is a guy who wrote a book called The Signal and the Noise mm. that like – they were publishing on 538 the unedited tra- chat transcripts of the editors like watching like returns come oh, in like during the primaries you know it's like this doesn't seem very signaling to yeah, you me know? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh and as that came down his political like his politics started coming out more and more and more just cuz like there's really not that much to say every day about like yeah here's the trend of the polls obama's probably going to win right you know <laughs> and he needed content he yeah. need, you know he needed content and so he increasingly you know, he increasingly started just becoming a regular horse race pundit and increasingly just like a regular political pundit. And in 2016, he was still kind of pretending a little bit that he was data driven, you know. So, you know, he wouldn't just put down his political judgment. He would like find some little stat to like attach to it, right, that, to give a little fig leaf. That's all
0: very interesting, but like going back in time, is this guy a bedwetter or what? He <laughs> uh, seems like he might be. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, there was something that had, you know, that had to do with urination, but, you know, it wasn't exactly, you know, and it, and it was on a bed, but I can't say anything. Oh, more. he's got a uh, Ben
1: Burgess has a pee tape of Nate Silver, folks. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. really real. We'll no. release it next time uh, an election comes around. Or you want to neutralize him. Yeah. yeah, no. and, and, and
2: like, it's funny because like now he's beloved by all these liberals who like don't like Russia, but there was a Russia angle, you know, no. Um, Did the pee tape? you know (laughs) (laughs) well um so you know know, nate Nate silver seems like a perfectly good guy who just happens to have terrible politics um but uh but he does but like back then you know it's like the so here's so here's an example right so like he he was constantly going on during the 2016 primary about how like people were making much too big a deal about the political difference between bernie and hillary wow uh, because um because, and this was his, this was his like fig leaf, you know that. Um yeah, I almost made another P tape joke about the fig leaf, but you know that's this <laughs> that's is, allowed. This is extremely unfair to this is also uh, extremely uh, the
1: anti fada, so feel free to yeah. talk about what he had to cover up with his fig leaf,
2: no matter how big or small it was. It's fine. You can go there, it's great. Uh but yeah, he uh was uh was he said no, but like during the like time when they were both in the Senate, they voted together, you know, eighty eight percent or ninety three percent or whatever at the same time. So see, you know, they're like basically the same.
1: Which, which I think points to, uh, maybe a fundamental error when it comes to trying to understand politics in this quantitative way. And, uh, I believe I've heard you critique, uh, empiricism, uh, in your appearances, uh, in the past and I guess scientism as well and trying to put a kind of quantitative, you know, lens on something politics are inherently uh qualitative in a yeah. sense. You know, of course there are a certain amount of no- people that need to vote and you sure, know, sure, sure. but mm, a-
0: excuse me. <laughs> stats don't care about your feelings. Okay.
1: Yes. So let's actually let's use that as a segue then to talk about uh yeah. you know if empiricism and Nate Silver thought is not the way to go for the left. <laughs> um you know what is the perfect the the purpose of philosophy and logic as you see it for the left as it as it came out in your book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so certainly we we don't want to try to over like the danger of that sort of really shallow empiricism that you're trying to quantify everything is that um well one, you know, you're focusing on the stuff. You know, it's it's like uh it's like IQ tests, you know, that like, you know, the IQ test might at best, you know, measure certain capacities that certainly don't exhaust everything we mean when we say intelligence, that's, you know, that are certainly not biologically innate, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But because it's the piece of information you have, it's really tempting to, you know, to fixate on it. You know, that like we have a lot of data about, you know, how people do on IQ tests, So it's really tempting to construct this story where everything's about that. Uh, similarly, yeah. I mean, absolutely. As you can't right, like, yeah, if you vote together 93 percent of the time, but like the other 7 percent included the Patriot Act and the war in Iraq, right. and, you know, et, cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, that's not very <laughs> meaningful. Not to mention that even quantitatively, that one's kind of bullshit because uh, they were only a Senate together for two years. And there were two years when Hillary was running for president in two thousand eight, so um, not a lot of data to extrapolate from there. Yeah, but,
1: and, and also a complete lack of context as well, right? Yeah, to, um,
2: but total lack, total lack of context. So we don't want to do that, right? Um, but then like this does bring up the, the bigger question, right? I believe I heard, I I don't see him in the studio, but I think I heard Ben Shapiro a minute ago, uh, (laughs) talking about what surprise (laughs) he's in the bathroom. He's coming out now. So it's like, you know,
0: he's easy to miss.
2: This is, this is right up there with Coke and Harry Potter. But, uh, you know, but it's like, this is what Jerry Springer reveal, you know, it's like, guess who's waiting in the green room. It's Ben Shapiro.
1: Except that in this instance, you'd love it because you're trying to get Ben Shapiro to fucking debate you. Wouldn't that be amazing if we just made that happen right now? How lit would that be? That's punchy a little bit above our weight. But nope. I'm sorry, go. Yeah, no, no, that but, yeah. that would be uh
2: that would be amazing, but you know, he but obviously like whatever. Like I'm, you know, like I'm just somebody who, you know, who does bread tube videos and stuff. I'm beneath his attention. Like he's much too interested in his debates with nervous 19-year-olds who've never mm-hmm. like talked to a public figure before. Um,
0: Well, that's one of the rules of argumentation, right? (laughs) You attack the absolute weakest arguments you could find on your opponent's side.
2: Well, Ben Shapiro actually has a book called 11 Rules for uh debating leftists and destroying them,
1: destroying them, which
2: i always destroy yeah i always kind of picture like noam chomsky being taken out of a college auditorium on a stretcher <laughs> after ben <laughs> shapiro destroyed him you know <laughs> and then did
1: the floss dance over his uh flaccid body yeah
2: <laughs> yeah uh, that's not
1: really what uh debates no it's really not, about it's right? not really
2: at all what de- what debate is about right like this is um like they the idea that uh, that you want, you know that you want to own people, destroy people, whatever uh, that you know that it's all about like they you know having like a lot of this is rhetorical it's like it's it's like the uh, oftentimes libertarians and conservatives really like this model of debate. It's like their equivalent of the West Wing fantasy mm-hmm. that like President Bartlett's gonna have such good rhetoric. That, you know, he's um, that, you know, that he's just going to like stun all the Republicans into silence. Right. You know, that this is their equivalent of it. You know, they're going to like own you with pure logic so much that you're just going to have nothing to say. Right. So uh, what they really valorize are being able to like rattle off, you know, like the names of some logical fallacies, maybe. um, And, you know. Like you know, you know, preferably and you know, preferably in Latin, you know. So like, it's it sounds you know, sound uh, Non-pro-
0: argumentum ad hominem.
2: Proctor est. Proctor. Yeah, I can't yeah. even remember that one. Uh, That's why I'm not on
1: the right <laughs> wing, is I don't know all my fallacies by heart. Yeah, but like,
2: of course, if you think the actual point of these tools is that these are ways to reason better, that we think, oh, you know, we could think that we have a reason to believe something, but actually we're making some kind of mistake, so we want to avoid that to do better then what you should really valorize is actually like slowing down and carefully thinking mm. about it, which is the opposite of what they're interested in. And of course this, this idea that uh, we should be that, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. True enough. Facts also don't care about other facts. Um, but uh, does get to your question about um, empiricism and scientism uh, because, one of the um, one of the biggest mistakes these guys make is thinking that you can somehow extrapolate like moral or political conclusions just from empirical data on its own, which it's like actually like literally a principle of reasoning that you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? You know that's that's Hume's law that uh, that because you can't you can't validly extrapolate of something. A value statement, a normative statement about what we should do, what would be good to do from premises that are just about facts, right? So, like, you know, you see this all the time, like Ben Shapiro, when he was, um, you know, just before he walked off of the BBC. Uh, oh, that was great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, sir, sir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you're you a left wing hack, he says to the high Tory uh, BBC, <laughs> yeah, BBC which, presenter. That which, was which is
2: amazing. But like just before that, he was asked to justify his support for the um, anti-abortion bill in uh in georgia that you know would would give you know women potentially like long prison sentences for miscarriages if you know you know there's proof that it was their fault or whatever well, he is literally a fetus so. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see how he's very concerned about his fellow fetus you know it's almost you know like uh so yeah so fair enough but like he was asked to support this and he said well my reason you know like, can you justify this? You're like, yes, because of science. Ah, right? you know, yeah. It's like that, you know, because the idea is that science shows that like a fetus is a human life. And so like that's the argument. And of course, well, you know, it does. Fair enough. Right. Like nobody, uh, you know, nobody who's pro-choice. Is pro-choice because they think that like genetically a fetus starts out as a raccoon and only oh. really gradually acquires human DNA. I mean,
1: Andy did as a Pache, but uh, uh, okay. the rest of humanity,
2: but, you know. Yeah. But like, but I, th- but I think even Andy at, at this point like recognizes <laughs> that like it does have human DNA from the beginning and whatever like, and it's uh and it checks off a lot of the the biological life boxes. But of course, the idea that you can go from there to oh, therefore, like. Uh, this is something that has the moral rights of a person, is an absurd logical leap, right? You know, that, that that doesn't follow at all, right? If you had a, if like scientists found a way to keep a disembodied hand alive in the laboratory and it was human, right? Then if, you know, well, would ending the experiment be murder? And if you say no, you've just conceded the point. Mm. But of course, Shapiro isn't having that conversation because it sounds so much better if you could just say, oh, science, right? Or it's the same thing with, um, with misgendering, you know, trans people that you know that if you well show that you know science shows that you know you can't change your chromosomes, you know, which literally no one claims, right, right, right? you know, then therefore uh, there isn't this other sense of gender identity that should be respected or whatever. And of course, the therefore doesn't follow at all. That's just total nonsense.
1: Well, all of this made me think of something because. Ben Shapiro, Stephen Molyneux, all these people, they um they all they try to fall back on this scientism and they try to use uh, facts to make moral judgments. Science mm-hmm. s- supposed science, scientific facts. It kind of shows you something historical because up until maybe, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, uh people could fall back on the idea of natural law or mm-hmm. on God's will. Mm-hmm. So it seems like in a sense this scientism is taking the place of uh this is what God ordained in the Bible, Ugh. therefore it has to be correct. It's a way of like um I'm sure there's a, a, a fallacy term for that. Is right. it um Uh, appealing to authority right the the old authority used to be Uh god you know or natural law and now it seems like they need this crux of like we have the science we have the data in order to shut down what could be a a moral debate right or uh, Mm -hmm. a debate about um ethics and what a society should do what do you think i don't know i'm just throwing that
2: out yeah yeah uh yeah so the idea um you know the idea that we could like take ethics out of you know god's will or whatever um you know, never made that much sense anyway. You know, go back to ancient Greece. You know, Socrates uh, has the uh, Euthyphro objection, right, is what is the good good because the gods will it or the gods will it because it's good. Never, Nobody's ever come up with a good answer to that. But what you're talking about is really, really revealing because Ben Shapiro is, you know, he's an Orthodox Jew. He's a, you know, like he's a fundamentalist. He, he does in principle think that God has told you to do all these things. Uh, and every once in a while, he'll let that you know he'll let that slip a little bit, you know, like when he's talking about Palestinians and whatnot. But like, but even Ben Shapiro feels the need to lean on science right. instead of just saying, "Well, this is what you know, this is what God says," and you know, the Torah, and that should be the end of the discussion. Right.
1: So it's a very secular mindset, but they still need something to fall back on. Even yeah, if they're not secular themselves, but, you know, they have to use secular but, secular arguments.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That like he he knows that he's not going to be um, he's not going to be taken seriously within a lot of the audience that he wants to be taken seriously by if he says uh, if he says God. But you could know, have this sort of second drawer thing that you know it's like well you know if we if we have this hazy idea about like nature you know then like and certainly certainly like in the trans argument right you know there there is a there is definitely some watered down version of natural law or something like that being appealed to there
0: it seems like it's really not that different from arguing from a place of emotions or Mm. morality Uh. at the end of the day right because like I can't prove to you using logic that yeah. humans have rights.
2: Yeah. Right?
0: Like some things and this is why I don't like people who are like, "Oh, I'm pure I'm a pure materialist. I'm a Marxist yeah. because it's the most logical thing to be." Like uh-huh. even like reading Marx, you you can tell that he's like angry about <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, 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 right. He's not just like a robot analyzing <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah, world yeah. and like if you don't have the same basic premise, if you don't have the same basic moral impulse, then you really can't argue with people, right? Like, I, I remember when I was at the RNC, mm. a terrible time in my life and in this country's <laughs> life. But like but you're the, not
1: a Republican anymore, so that helps.
0: Yes, I've... I've, I've seen the error of my ways, but like in the public square, it was literally like people were having discourse in the square. And I was hanging out with these IWW people yeah. who were really cool. And this one guy was just talking to everybody. And he was talking to these like kind of nice, well-meaning, like never Trump Republicans. And they share a common language of like human rights and wanting to provide the greatest good for the greatest good of all. Mm-hmm. And th- on that level, they can argue about how best to do that. Then he started arguing with some alt-right dudes (laughs) in their like military LARPing gear, and you get to the base of the argument, and the guy says, I don't believe in human rights. I don't believe that everybody deserves rights. And like, I don't know where there is left to go from that besides like violence, because sure. when someone doesn't believe in these basic premise, I don't know what you can possibly do to convince them.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, although I, I was thinking that would be interesting, like somebody who like literally didn't have the same normative commitments. They're like clearly driving marks, but like but who's still convinced by the analysis. They're like, yeah, no, I think all that stuff's right. I mean, I just prefer barbarism.
1: You know? yeah, like- <laughs> Socialism or barbarism is a question, right? <laughs>
2: right, right? Right, You gave me two options. <laughs> yeah. you no, know? like I went with the other one. Uh, like and- the Zoomer <laughs> option.
0: Like what I'm driving at is like the, the kind of false dichotomy between uh, facts and feelings that I think totally. you get at very well in your book.
2: Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, because uh, we can't, like it's literally impossible um to have a va- you know a valid argument or even a strong argument, not all good arguments are deductive. Uh, that for a normative conclusion, a conclusion about what we should do, like you know that, uh, or uh, or what your preferred outcome would be, that's just based on facts. Because what facts, what the facts can do is you know they can be very relevant to telling us like how to achieve our goals, right? You know, like if if we all if we decide. That we want to, you know, like it's it's really important. Uh, Well, we agree on some, you know, uh, people who are not those alt right guys, you know, at the end of the conversation all agree that it's like really like unjust and fucked up that there's this big racial wealth gap. We think, okay, how can we close that, right? We can have like a sort of Ta Nehisi Coates versus Adolf Reed kind of argument about that, right? What the best way to go about trying to close it is. And then maybe some facts would be very relevant, right? You know, because you could say, "Hey, you know, are there times when you know these universal social programs have been tried? Did they have that much effect on it? Right? You know, have have you know reparations for other groups? What effect has that had? And that could be totally relevant to talk about how to achieve the goals hmm. that we care about. But what the facts can't do is tell us which goals to care about in the first place. Right, right. And and that's that's just a like like that's that's just a that's just like sloppy thinking to think that they can in the first place.
0: So I want to get around to kind of the reasons why you wrote this book. I think a lot of people on the left are sort of critical of the idea of logic, right? Like, and, you know, people like Ben Shapiro probably make it seem pretty unappealing with their pedantic nerdery that's actually not all that logical at all wait
1: but i want to uh lose eight inches and uh talk a lot faster maybe i do want to be
0: that (laughs) well buy the book book. (laughs) so uh, yeah you talk in the in the intro to your book about how like the subtitle of the chapo book is actually a manifesto against logic facts and reason like why are so many people on the left critical of the idea of logic and why does the left need logic like why did you write this book
2: yeah absolutely so in um i mean that probably is part of a a contributed factor at least right like i you know love chapo I've, I've listened to over the years almost every episode of chapo sometimes the call of cthulhu and christmas stuff you know like loses <laughs> made, but you know other than that you know Uh, Virgil
1: Matt Will if you're (laughs) listening you heard it here
2: (laughs) but like your basic meat and potatoes Chapo episode where they like banter and do a reading series I love that shit but uh, but they do have this persistent joke going back to the very first episode and even before that um, about you know proving people wrong by their own logic and you know stuff like that Uh, and Look, I have no interest in policing the extent to which that's a joke or not a joke or, you know, like that's the least funny thing you can do to a joke, you know, is is to try to break down exactly how serious people are about it. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure to, for the most part, right, you know, I mean, that is that is just a joke, right? I mean, clearly, you know, they make arguments all the time. But I do think that it reflects a real attitude that, you know, that this re- reflects like – a sort of instinctive reaction to the Ben Shapiro's of the world, which you know can understand to a point, right? Uh, of kind of learning because there are these legions of. Uh, <laughs> I did a, a debate a little while back with this uh, libertarian podcaster comedian Dave Smith, and he got really offended about my use of this term in a pre. You know uh, when I was on um, a different podcast, uh, but you know there are legions of. Uh, basement-dwelling uh, libertarian internet trolls, you know, who absolutely love the rhetoric of logic, you know, like, you know, using the names of logical fallacies and all that stuff. And I think there's a reaction on the left where people kind of ro- respond to that by by rolling their eyes. Mm-hmm. And even if they're not seriously, you know, totally against making good arguments or whatever, nobody is, you know. But what it does mean, though, is that they kind of have this distrust of the enterprise of like learning about logic as a discipline, and like especially logical fallacies and stuff like that, uh, and they and they kind of associate it to like to a certain extent that what they think of it is like pointing out a logical fallacy is like giving out a yellow card in debate, right? Mm, you know, like mm. that these are sort of like some sort of prissy and arbitrary kind of. You know, like Marquis of Queensbury rules for you know for gentlemanly debate or something (laughs) like that, right? And you know they have an understandable fuck that reaction to that, right? Uh, But but, then
1: they're ceding that entire territory, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Then they're they're ceding territory. They do not need to cede. Uh, to people who often actually do it, as Jamie said, in a very superficial way, because they can't, they can get away with that, right? You know, they, because they're unchallenged on that terrain so much, they don't actually have to, have to bring a very good logic game, right? You know, because nobody's going to call them out on this stuff. Uh, And I think that, I think that that's, that's a real, real mistake, right? Like, you know, like sort of, Distrusting the the talk, like logic talk and fallacy talk, and not really wanting to get very much into all that stuff, um, you know, I think is a mistake for a couple reasons. One of them is that we end up losing people that we could win, and you know, when I say that, like, there's a certain kind of like overreact, like reaction I'll get on Twitter or whatever, where people are like, "Oh, you think we can like, you know, win?" You know, with just, like, logic and, you know, and arguments and, you know, like, you you think we can – and, you know, like, people seem to think that I'm saying, like, you know, that, like, we can, like, achieve, you know, socialism just by, like, making a good argument for mm, it, right? right? You know, that yeah. if we, you know, gave Jeff Bezos, like, a convincing enough <laughs> moral argument, he would, like, give away his billions, you know? Yeah. And and that's, that's not it, right? You know, like, obviously achieving, you know, Canadian-style healthcare, much less full communism, is something that's going to take – A protracted political struggle, you know, uh, against people with vested interests, you know, who goes against. That's not the point. The point is that you're going, you know, that you're doing worse than that than you would otherwise do if you're not convincing convincible people. Uh, And the fact is, we are starting from a position where, you know, the vast majority of the workers of the world are not on board, right? You know, that's, you know, unfortunately, yes. uh, Unfortunately, that is the fact. And people will – and so – and people will often make assumptions that like, oh, anybody who – you know, anybody who – like why are you bothering like taking down this person's argument? Anybody who listens to that guy, right, uh, can't possibly, you know, be like winnable. Mm. Uh, But of course they're – They're counterexamples to that all the time, and I feel like even the people who make these sort of arguments against making arguments uh, are oftentimes themselves counterexamples. The people who say, oh, nobody's ever convinced of anything by an argument, the people who I hear that the most from, you know, I was like, "Okay, hold on, like you grew up in like a conservative evangelical household, Until like you became an atheist, you know, when you were 17, then you were like a regular MSNBC liberal until like the Bernie campaign started and, you know, and then like – you joined the DSA and now you've like drifted halfway to Maoism and like you know, you weren't sure that like the uh, the Bernie endorsement was the right move this time. And you're the person who's telling me that like nobody ever changes <laughs> yeah. their minds, right. you know. Yeah, like, yeah people- totally.
0: I was very skeptical at first of the idea that any kind of leftist media or debate format could change anyone's mind ever. Until I started working at the Majority Report. The Majority Report. And we get calls all the time from people who tell us that they used to be a libertarian, a right-wing libertarian or whatever, until they started, you know, like the YouTube algorithm served them Sam's videos. And he's all about debating the right, not because he thinks it's going to change the minds of the people he's debating, Mm -hmm. but the people watching. And I mean, even if it doesn't, change people's minds on a mass mass scale i know that it does something and we need all the help we can get
2: absolutely so you know so that's that's one thing right like if you can get like whatever sliver of the audience could go either way if you can get them to go your way to change your mind like yeah as you say we're in no position to pass that up and then the other thing is too if we don't Actually, do like if when we're spending most of our time, like you know, pushing back against the right, if our only tools in that effort, right, the only weapons in our arsenal when it comes to that are mockery or moral condemnation, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against either of those things, right? I mean, if there are lots of things in the world that deserve to be morally condemned, and if you can't mock things, I don't know how you're supposed to get through the day, you know? Like, like
1: the Nate Silver P tape. That was not an argument.
2: <laughs> oh, sorry. I, that was just, like, a literal thing that happened. I, I don't, <laughs> do you think that was a joke? or fat,
1: Facts, not? Feeling something, yeah. something, throw that yeah, in. Yeah,
2: but, like, you know, but, like, if that's if that's all we have, right? Like, if, if, all, if all we're used to doing in the sort of, like, day-to-day, like, process of, like, pushing back against the right is using those tools, then... When disagreements arise, you know, on the left as they have, you know, with great regularity every 15 minutes since the French Revolution, you know, then uh, then those are the tools that we're going to turn on each other. And that's really bad. Right. I mean, like that's that's incredibly toxic and alienating. And a lot of regular people like want to have nothing to do with that for very understandable reasons.
0: Yeah, that's a really good and something I think a lot about in the dsa Mm. like i think one good thing about being in dsa is it kind of forces you to be uh comradely to the people you are arguing against within your Mm -hmm. organization i mean you know i realize not everybody always follows that rule and online Mm. dsa twitter will give you a very very skewed perspective of what it's actually like not to but. mention
1: that much of the international anglophone left is also weighing in on dsa things while other people are debating on twitter that's or whatever. true yeah
2: yeah no absolutely absolutely and you know i think there's also even just something to be said for like you know when somebody who's on the left who's you know somebody you know from dsa or maybe like even like a a writer you follow or whatever takes a position that you find horrifying Right, as is going to happen pretty regularly, right? I mean, I'm sure everybody can think of some go to examples without a lot of difficulty. Like, it's it's really easy to uh to just like you know, fire hose them with moral indignation, right? Like that's a really easy response to go to. Um but like if you're and it's it's very tempting because like, you know, you're upset about it, you know, you 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 have you have to do something with that feeling. And so like it's you know even even if in most contexts you're pretty good about okay whatever let's be calm and comradely about this in those circumstances that can be very difficult and I think one thing to be said for like kind of learning the tools of like argumentation is that that oftentimes does give you something else that you can do with that feeling because if you you know if you can at least like sit down and like try to like make the best like you know most rigorous argument you possibly can against you know against this position you find so so bad that can actually satisfy that itch so you know so you don't end up just like you know going on twitter and calling them a fascist or whatever
1: without going down a uh, rabbit hole that we could probably do an entire episode on about the philosophy of hegel and yeah, marx yeah. um a, a quick question on uh, just the the, the logic uh. of uh, marxism which i think everybody here is uh Somewhat acquainted with and in favor of, uh, Karl Popper famously um, critiqued Marxism mm-hmm. as uh, not being internally consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, many others uh, have defended Marx uh, over time. Uh, I think you mentioned G.A. Cohen before mm-hmm. we started recording. In what ways do people try to um, critique Marxism mm-hmm. and say that it is not logical, it is not a, a true you know, method of analysis? Yeah. And uh, what, what would you say in return to that? This conception of imminent critique that he uses, and and so forth.
2: Okay, yeah, good. So, I think that I think one thing to say, first of all, is that is that even though there are people who are both anti-Marxists and who are like just kind of misguided Marxists who think that uh, what Marx is doing is something that's like very different from from logic as we know it. Um, if you actually you know read some some marks uh you know guy is making arguments all the time right you know when, when he thinks that he can like catch you know prudon or bakunin or whoever in an inconsistency, he seems to treat this as a problem for their position right you know <laughs> so uh so i i don't think the gap there is is as great as people you know sometimes um sometimes think, he, wait, think it wait i
0: thought marxism was just about making all your favorite tv characters gay <laughs> is that not what it is
2: uh, <laughs> that's well the- you know it's a rich tradition you know this is you know goes branches off in all kinds of different yeah, directions the cultural
1: marxist position is what jamie is talking about yeah. uh and then this conception of the imminent critique which is kind of boring into somebody's argument from the inside and uh you know, saying that 10 yards of linen equals 10 yards of linen, which is a logical statement, and going through and kind of taking their suppositions that they have and one by one kind of knocking them down. You you would argue that 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 is an effective way of critique.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this is, (laughs) in fact, to connect it to uh, the previous question – you know, this is proven somebody wrong by their own logic. Oh, shit. There we go.
1: Adam Smith, and Ricardo, yeah. Yeah, all yeah. With their, That's with basically their what
3: capital was, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Um, a- economy, economism is becoming this ideology. So I'm going to spend 10 years reading all of it and just <laughs> destroying it. And if you read, I mean, reading capital. It- People talk about it like it's economic work. Mm. It's this deeply anti-economic mm. work. The whole time he's like so mad that he ever had to read it, yeah. but he had to read it so he could destroy it.
1: You could just see him writing the the name Sismondi out, just like jamming the <laughs> yeah. pen into the mm. desk.
3: Yeah. yeah, so many insults of all these people. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it, imminent critique, just to be clear. I mean, as I understand it, is like he's uh, the the critique is sort of implicit, like he's describing the structures of capitalism and exactly how it works and most reasonable, I mean, most working class people reading it would say, oh, hey, we're getting a bad deal. Is that approximately?
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess a couple of things going on there. Like one is, uh, you know, the critique of uh, capitalism and which which I think ties in, in an interesting way with what you said earlier about uh, how, you know, you know, this Marx is not usually speaking in a explicitly normative way, but he's clearly angry about it, right? Mm, you know, mm, like this mm. is, it's not just... um
1: He was a reply guy. If you read all those letters, <laughs> yeah. Mars was definitely a reply guy. Sitting in the library getting madder and madder, redder. He's mad on... Postal Neuter Yeah No Well
2: I mean actually I think if you, if you look at A lot of the You know debates That he was having Like over the course Of the 19th century In the communist league And the first international It's probably like Very good for all of us That uh, Twitter didn't exist then Or he probably like Never would have like Gotten the first volume Of Capital done yeah. You know It's <laughs>
1: like yeah, it You know all oh my... long enough <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's like Oh my fucking god Do you see what The anarchists are saying out here? <laughs> you know Like yeah. You know That the, you know and Twitter Is like all over this <laughs> I, I just have to correct this, you know.
1: He would be a thread poster too. <laughs> yeah, <totally>. oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of 200 Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm sorry. Go on. I, gotta, uh, I said, uh, speaking of cocaine. <laughs> keep getting back to the cocaine thing that's great i I don't know there's a theme here but
0: adderall and craft beer (laughs) opium and old-timey speed that was the marx version of that
3: there's a great twitter account called marxist internet archive out of context that just started (laughs) and they're not tweeting nearly enough but they do have just a bunch of like little marxist owns out of context like nice uh one of my favorite marx quotes Quote, Bakunin has become a monster, a huge mass of flesh and fat, and is barely capable of walking anymore To crown it all, he is sexually perverse and jealous. Of the seventeen-year-old Polish girl who married him in Siberia because of his
1: martyrdom. Oh,
0: wow. Talk wow. about ad hominem. Wait, Jesus so Christ. So, yeah.
1: so we can use this account to essentially have like old Karl <laughs> Marx t- quotes be like the drill, uh, the the drill screen caps that we can use on other people's shit. That's I, incredible. Yeah, I hope
3: they keep tweeting
1: it so <laughs> good. Uh, <Wow>. Keep doing <laughs> it. Well,
0: one thing that I learned from uh, your videos, Ben, is mm-hmm. that an ad hominem doesn 't necessarily mean that your entire argument is wrong, or am I using ad hominem incorrectly well yeah, I like mean, just because you 've insulted somebody in addition to making yeah. an argument doesn 't automatically invalidate your argument
2: yeah totally so uh, the this is one of the things, and like I feel like i don 't know like i 'm still trying to figure this out because like one of the things that I really realized right in the book is that um, it made me a second guess some of the ways that in the past i 've taught in formal logic classes. Because if you're teaching people about a lot of these fallacies, the easiest and most obvious way to grade them, right? You know, it is is to you know is to have like tests where they identify little simply like toy examples of these things. But of course, this is really dangerous, and uh, and I, I worry that I'm you know helping people become assholes on the internet because uh, if you it's if all you you know if you know. The names of some fallacies and some super obvious applications, and like that's what you've been graded on, then it's really tempting. Like people who know just a little bit about the stuff start over diagnosing like crazy. Mm. They just see them everywhere. You know, anytime you're citing expert opinion, it's an appeal to authority. You know, uh, anytime you say something mean about somebody, it's an ad hominem, but of course, it's not an ad hominem. That uh, the ad hominem fallacy is what's committed when you uh, treat an irrelevant. Negative claim about somebody, true or false, right? As if it were a reason to not believe what they're saying, right? So if, uh, so if Marx had said Bakunin uh, is this quivering mass of flesh that could barely move, uh, therefore his take on the Paris Commune is wrong, right? Mm. That would have been an ad hoc. Right. I right? see. Right. If, however, he's making a perfectly reasonable critique of that argument, but sometime before or afterwards he says. Uh, by the way, Eagles, have you seen how fat Bakunin has gotten? You know that might or might not be a particularly kind thing to say, but it has nothing to do with the ad mm-hmm. Right, policy.
1: they can you still that, argue, folks. Yeah.
0: You can be as messy a bitch as Marx was, and still win an argument. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, speaking of uh, messy bitches, mm-hmm. uh, we haven't done this a while. In a while, but we have another this week in Musk because Jamie <laughs> ran into a uh elon musk stan on the streets of bushwick the other day right indeed and what happened
0: oh so i mean the fact that i was even willing to do this at all speaks to the low level of personal agency i was feeling (laughs) at that point in the day i was very tired from working i'd just been to therapy you know talked about my feelings i just wanted to go home so i saw this guy on the street and he's like hey hey can i ask you a question and like (laughs) I guess he could go either way. I, I probably should have just said no because I was cranky, but I was like, Fine, all right, whatever you all want. the
1: Amnesty International ones had run you down uh, before that, so they broke you down and warmed you up for it, huh? <laughs> no, usually when people in New York City are costing you on the street, it's for like Amnesty oh. International or whatever right, not yeah. like standing Elon, but anyways, sure, you cut that whole thing. It's fine. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, he he was asking random people on the street, uh, who is Elon Musk and recording their answers. And I was real, real tired. Uh, at first, I was like, oh, yeah, he's a crazy billionaire. And then the gears in my head started turning. And then I gave what I believe was the only correct answer in the video.
3: Let's hear it is from uh, Jason Chang. Stupid smart on Twitter,
1: which is such a good name <laughs> yeah. for an Elon Musk. Fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who is Elon Musk?
0: He's like a crazy billionaire, like, not, he's like a Bond villain, but not cool. (laughs) Not cool? Yeah.
1: He's the coolest. Oh my God. He's actually.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That has 120,000 views.
1: That's insane. Man, that side-eyed, oh, my God thing, that uh, that was like your uh, Doug Henwood jerk-off motion viral. Oh, all that, was that, that
0: was definitely my sincere response in the moment. I realized who I was dealing with like halfway through. I oh, my like, God.
3: 120,000 views and only, he only has 64 followers.
0: Jesus Christ. So I actually feel kind of bad for this guy. Because yeah. he de- he found me. He tracked me down. He DM'd me and asked me to retweet the video. And I was like, okay, well, sure. You
1: realize he had gold there because he probably saw how many followers yeah. you had. He's like, oh, my little yeah, stupid saw, video is going to pop. He saw my
0: blue check. Everyone's going to th- see how the, cool and, I am. Yeah. And now he's being ratioed by all of my followers <laughs> who have nothing nice to say about Elon Musk whatsoever. They're making fun of him. For uh, like he's list he lists who his heroes are, and it's like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, <laughs> Bernie Sanders, and <laughs> oh, like AOC, and MLK, and like Richard Branson, and people are like, "Oh, you're so stupid," but like nobody's giving him any substantive arguments Um. as to why that's stupid or why he shouldn't stand a billionaire if he also likes the politics of bernie sanders so like i actually got to give this to him because like i've been dming with him a little bit i don't know like i told people like back off a little bit because like (laughs) this guy's got 56 followers i feel kind of bad Uh, and he asked me like, oh, what he's like really wants to understand what I don't like about Elon Musk. And I told him to listen to my show because we do critique him in, uh, episodes two and 11, I believe. And he said, oh, I'll take a listen and let you know if any of your reasoning and sources are linked to FUD parentheses, fear, uncertainty, doubt, pushing Tesla shorts. Most of the Uh negative Elon Tesla press is linked to this reason what? being the auto industry and gas industry oh trillions of dollars are incentivized to see uh. Tesla's downfall and I'll give credit to what's true I mean he shouldn't be
2: calling people pedos on the internet <laughs>
1: well at least he conceded that Ben how do you unpack that what's what's going on here
2: I, I, I don't know that uh that fear uncertainty and doubt thing through me that's uh what I, is that that's yeah that that's like um I, I don't uh you know all right, you know, I having already thoroughly dated myself in many ways, you know, if, like I remember, like in Donnie Darko, the like really flaky teacher had the like uh graph that you're supposed to place things on between fear and love, <laughs> you know, that's so, uh, yeah, that's 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 pretty strange. Um, it's also, um, there is also some really bad reason in there that with the uh, that like this is something I see anti vaxxers do a lot when they say that. Hey, such and such might have a financial interest in, um, in forwarding, you know, this, uh, this claim, therefore it's not true, right, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. which uh, which one obvious problem is that we live in a capitalist society, so there's, like, literally nothing that lots of people don't make money off of, right, right. you know, so yeah. if if everything that anybody is making money off of or any, like, claim that's linked to anything that people are making you money off. You can't believe
1: anything. <laughs> oh, right. and
0: some of the claims, by the way, that I gave him, because, like, I was starting to feel bad that no one was giving him anything real yeah. to research or grab onto, were that um, Elon Musk has fought his workers' efforts to unionize in his factories and that he took away all the safety signs because he hates the color yellow. (laughs) And this guy's like, well, I'm going to need to check the source on that. That
2: that second... uh, like you know, first one's par for the course. And like, that's the kind of reason, like I would have assumed Elon Musk was a piece of shit, but like the, that second one really is like the lamest Bond villain ever. <laughs>
1: yeah. right? It really gets on the, the central um, disconnect between standing Elon Musk and say Bernie Sanders, yeah. you know, whatever shortcomings you think you might have as a politician. And of Ooh, course, you know, he does, sure, sure. but um, you know, the evidence of private tyranny at work, you yeah. know, just getting the, all the yellow out because you dislike that color, and then on the other hand, a, a politician who kind of who talks about like the we not me sort of yeah. thing. There's a, there's a real sort of there is a way I think maybe to argue that person out of standing Elon Musk if you could point out the contradiction between those two things.
2: Yeah, totally. And I I even feel like this time around uh, when Bernie like uh, even like when he first announced for 2020, like you could tell that he was digging like a little bit deeper into like the his past radicalism than he did last time like in his kickoff speech he was talking about uh the terror like having grown up in a family that you know wasn't super poor but like you knew the terrifying power that employers have over people's lives that was a phrase that really stuck out to me you know from the kickoff uh and you know and, and that seems like that's that's you know that's burning at his best and elon musk you know just just seems like a uh just a Just a really rich guy who does the evil shit that rich people do, you know, like fighting unionization and. uh, But like he has like pretensions to being this like, uh, you know, it's it's like he it's like he aspires to be a Bond villain that like he talks a good game about like all you know all this stuff he's going to build someday, but never does. Right, I think
0: he aspires to be someone people like. Actually, like his (laughs) villainy is purely a response to the fact that people aren't giving him the credit that he thinks he deserves.
2: God, I've never understood for what.
0: Well, Uh, I mean, it makes sense. Well, I mean, to be fair, I guess, well, I'm getting all this info from Nero, who decided to be the contrarian and defend Elon Musk the last time around. But apparently, like Tesla has spurred some sort of race within the car industry to develop more green eco-friendly vehicles for whatever that's worth and like it tracks very well with what we're taught under capitalism which is that progress is primarily achieved by these captains of industry right these great men usually men through history who come up with a really great idea and they they put it to work And the reason why they get to reap way more benefits from it than the workers do is because they were the guy with that idea, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, and 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 uh, what, and all the other people that he cites, like MLK, right? Was he just a guy with a good idea, or yes. was he like the, a figurehead for like a mass movement of millions of people fighting you know, for social justice?
2: Sidebar: Michael Brooks has totally ruined my ability to hear the word "idea." <laughs> uh, but, yes. but, Ideas, but yeah, no, I mean, look, in, um, that you know, this idea that Elon Musk, you know, deserves like some, you know, like any particular, you know, credit for this stuff, really, like bottom line, um, you know, people like it's, you know, Elon Musk is not, you know, like Elon Musk doesn't have a lab, right? You know, like he's, he's somebody, he's not somebody who's like making engineering, you know, breakthroughs, you know, like, uh, you know, he's somebody who, as you said, invested in PayPal early, which sidebar does make me hate him that much more because I just had to go through a completely ridiculous experience with PayPal because there was like a a magazine that, you know, like like paid like uh you know, it was paid me for an article through PayPal and so I haven't actually used the PayPal account or anything in ten years and like they had there was like this ten dollars that I'd owed PayPal like forever wow, ago Jesus. that like was this amazing logistical nightmare like talking to customer service for hours to like mm. find a way that I could pay for like this ten bucks that I owed yeah. them from like years ago. That's Innovation. Peter, that's Peter
1: <laughs> Thiels. It was a libertarian fantasy about freeing up money, but it turns out it's just a shitty bank. It is right? just, just a
2: shitty bank. Yeah. Absolutely. Disruption. Uh, uh, but look, people like Elon Musk don't come up with techno you know, like don't uh they don't invent anything you know any more than uh, any more than soviet planners did mm-hmm. you know they have a they decide what people are going to work on like that's people you know like actual you know technicians engineers people like that you know invent things regardless of what social system they're in
1: in a deeply social way they collectively come together and do it not one individual
2: yeah no yeah absolutely the sort of romanticized idea that we have that you know that like you know john galt like all by himself is like coming up with you know how the trains should run you know like has absolutely nothing in common with how uh, R and D actually works, even in capitalist corporations mm-hmm. uh, and the government, where much of it comes from, and the government, yeah, absolutely. Like that's what I mean. That's half of what Rutgers does. Instead of paying people living wage, they uh, like it's uh, it's publicly, uh, it's you know, publicly owned R and D for private corporations. Um, and and so you know, but regardless of whether they're in the public sector or the private sector. Uh, it's, you know, it's people with actual specific technical knowledge and skills working together who come up with these things. Usually they don't reap that much of the profits from them. Uh, and so the question is, okay, that's, that's nice. I guess that like Elon Musk's interests and, you know, and his inclinations slash like where he sees an opportunity, you know, lead to people, you know, try like leads to more people working on this stuff. But how much better off would we be if we didn't have to count on a member of the corporate aristocracy happening to be interested in this stuff? And instead, we could just set as a matter of public policy hey, we think this is an important priority and we think that people should be working on it. Which, as you say, is how lots of stuff gets developed anyway. Lots, you know, like uh, that, like you know lots of medicine is developed this way you know this is you know like the space program yeah the one that actually worked was not private enterprise and and
1: and taking it out of the united states and abroad uh china has an immense glut of solar panel production uh solar panels and the ability to produce them because as a public policy they decided to reorient much of their heavy industry towards photovoltaic cells right so this was not a decision made by one person of course it's made by the communist party but you know it's just a different you know a different way of getting to the same place that's not as arbitrary as one south african weirdo deciding that this is where he wants to put money towards
2: absolutely and you know it's all it's also worth like that example is worth dwelling on because people um like jordan peterson and his debate with slavo zizek when uh you know when he said hey look at how awesome capitalism is because uh all these people are being lifted out of poverty now of course he's Usually when he says things like that, he's talking about like a 200-year window in which, yeah, capitalism is better than feudalism. This is not a point of controversy, right, you know, between Marxists and anti-Marxists. But also to the extent you're talking about recent decades, most of that's in China. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, China, look, uh, has a system that, you know, that, that as uh, as somebody who, who likes, you know, democratic socialism and workers' control and all that good stuff, I find deeply unappealing. But uh, – but it's it's certainly not anything that has anything to do with Peterson's free market fantasies. Right. And it
1: mm. is a different is an example of how a society could do something do it differently. Do even it if different. it's Not uh, ideal. So yep,
0: what this... you're saying is, after capitalism, if we democratically decide there's a need for flamethrowers, we <laughs> vote on it, and then everyone will get a flamethrower. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's right.
0: Without the middleman. So
2: I, I had a um, so I, I had a discussion recently with this Twitch stream gamer, Destiny. Oh yeah, I saw that. That was that was uh, pretty good. Thanks. Yeah, and I was trying to push the idea that one of the big reasons that You know, it's important to democratize the economy, is to do something about climate change. And I think, uh, I think what Jamie just said might be, I might summarize his counter argument, which is, you know, which is more or less, yeah, but come on, for all you know, people are just going to vote to, you know, develop flamethrowers. Yeah, you know? yeah, I
1: saw that. That's why I said it was pretty good. And not, I thought you did yeah, well, basically. but there wasn't much concession, and you guys seem to be talking past one another a lot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. No, no, he's a good liberal. It is you know, what
2: it is. No, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, you know, like he, you know, he has reasonably progressive impulses and everything. I think that, like. I think that he just has a hard time imagining that we could do anything but this, right? You know, that like Uh, a Sam
1: Cedar type situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, I realized the other day, actually, that Sam is probably even more cynical than I am about our current system and the ability to achieve positive change within it but does not believe that a better one is possible. Which, like, if I thought that, I would just fucking kill myself. But oh, he wears I'll it very that. well. Yeah. I think it's like a Jet X thing, maybe.
1: Do you want to segue us to... <laughs> oh, uh, yeah.
3: Maybe we can do the Molyneux and the bonus.
1: Oh, you want to do those? as a bonus? Because we're what,
3: coming up at 120 now.
1: Oh, That's fine. Yeah. I mean, should
0: we do 10 on Molyneux and but
3: um, maybe maybe oh, maybe it'll be good no the bonus. actually i all think right. it
1: is a good bonus yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good idea so why don't we then we'll close out on musk because i have a, a little bit to say about it and then we'll get to the conclusion with the shapiro video and then we'll do maybe 20 minute bonus on okay uh so you were you were next babe do you want to uh no, i was just
0: going to segue us to Stephen him on all
1: right so uh what do we do now i don't know andy do you have a way to get us
3: I don't, I don't know what you had in mind for the conclusion.
1: Um, well, uh, I was, was going
0: to say that maybe I'll tell this guy to listen to our episode. Well, you they- do
1: that last. I have one short thing to say, and then I'll throw it to you, and then we'll, we'll close it Well,
0: out. we're still talking about Elon Musk.
1: Later. I know. I had a thing to say about Elon Musk.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I think one of the... And, uh, I'll start over again. One of the the reasons why you see these stands out there, and I think one of the reasons why people, uh, smart, stupid people, mm-hmm. want to group uh, Elon Musk in with uh, AOC or Martin Luther King, is because in a sense he does represent this sort of optimistic futurism, mm-hmm. and so there is ultimately something recuperable about that, like yeah. we were talking about with the China example, or of course democratic socialism mm-hmm. or communism, uh, this conception that you know we can do better than this in, in a moment where history has ended as everyone knows in history is a weapon history is over now, but it, it seems like we're going like straight on the, the barbarism timeline. So at least Musk is offering, like I am going to be investing all of this in my capitalist enterprise to make solar cells and Tesla cars. So I think in a, in a, in a society where our ideologies are very limited uh, in terms of like their, their scope you know Elon Musk can be a hero because he seems like a good capitalist.
0: Oh yeah and they have this like great man theory for how change happens exactly. too right? right? I think yeah. he put like FDR is the classic <laughs> example of that right where people ascribe all this good stuff from the New Deal to FDR and they don't see the bigger picture of what else was going on historically at the time
2: Yeah why it, why it was that uh, that FDR felt you know and uh, a and enough of the capitalist class is willing to back his play that you needed to make deep concessions like this. Because uh,
1: there's millions of people in the street and eventually they will sharpen their pitchforks. And they were seeing that coming down in those massive unionization drives and they need to do something to nip it in the butt. However, that history is much more complicated than saying this great uh, aristocratic, uh, you know, class traitor FDR came in and benevolently decided to uh, give us some sort of semblance of social democracy.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh- by the way, you mentioned history. History having ended, I have to say one of the um, uh, most surreal things that's uh, that's happened to me on Twitter was I had a uh, article about um, Jordan Peterson's uh, misunderstandings of Marx and the Zizek debate, which was uh, retweeted out a, with a weirdly positive uh, note on it by uh, one uh, Francis Fukuyama. <laughs>
1: interesting shit interesting i should not have talked that much shit on him in uh, episode one of history as a weapon
2: well you know i think maybe that the um it's been a while and uh history hasn't ended so maybe he's reconsidering some stuff yeah sounds like it
0: wow i mean him and peter dow i guess are the two people who've learned something since the 90s
2: excuse me he's
1: earned the honorific chairman dow thank you very much
0: My bad. So maybe I'll tell this guy to listen to our episode because I feel like we've actually broken it down in a non ad hominem way why he should be a little more critical of his maybe dad, Elon Musk. Oh, that's the other thing. Like he looks, he weirdly looks (laughs) a lot like Elon Musk. Uh. So one of our theories is maybe he's just trying to get love from his dad. Mm.
1: Can so. you blame? Can you blame the kid? I can't.
0: I can't. No, like, it would make sense. It would make a lot more sense because there's a video where he tells him, I love you. <laughs> like, he literally <laughs> says that when he's, like, getting up to, like, ask him a question on a panel. And he allows his mask. to, like, oh, I love you too. And I you can love see, you, too. <laughs> you can see how much it means to him. I'm like, oh.
1: Well, if, uh, if Elon Musk had been a better father and not abandoned his bastard child so that he'd have to walk <laughs> around the streets of Bushwick trying to get his father's attention, none of this would have happened. There's a lesson for you. Uh, yeah. life lesson
2: makes you think, yeah,
0: so in conclusion, <laughs> um, you should tweet at Ben Shapiro that he's using all kinds of uh, fallacies, which you can learn about from Ben's book. Um, you should buy Ben's books so you can buy learn what the those book. things are. And, um, yeah, if you see Ben on the street, just fucking yell at him. Not that you wouldn't yell at him already.
1: Yeah, there's a... Uh, Shapiro,
3: not Burgess, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do not yell at Ben Burgess You should, in the you should yell nice, nice
0: things yes. at Yes, y'all, ben.
1: you are really good at logic. This is actually this. one
0: of Sean's specialties. He likes to get really drunk and heckle no. people in no. a nice way.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> I... I mean, it's not... I mean, okay, I'll admit that I've done it, too. <laughs> like, when I was on A Ton of Molly, seeing Chelsea Wolfe at Austin Psych Fest, it just, I don't know, something came over me. I just needed to tell her how important she was to me, and I think she appreciated I had it.
1: forgotten about that. There was a time when I would go to like punk and indie shows and I would yell, That key change in the in the <laughs> after the verse was incredible <laughs> And I'd really throw them for a loop.
0: Would you would you accept those kinds of heckles, Ben?
2: Uh yeah, no, no, go for it.
1: Yeah, cool. So folks, uh the name of the video where you um offer to uh debate Ben Shapiro is called
2: Uh Is Ben Shapiro Afraid to Debate a Logic Professor?
1: And then you can find that on the Zero Books channel of YouTube. Is that right?
2: Yep, that's right.
1: All right, so folks, go out, check out that video, check out all of Ben's work once again, and do tweet at our friend Ben Shapiro and anybody adjacent to him because it's very important that the left learns to own people with logic. And I think seeing Ben Burgess own the lesser Ben Shapiro would be a beautiful way to do that. Thanks for coming on, Ben.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: You uphold a law that's not innate. You uphold a law
1: not of the state. You attack, you turn the black sheep white. You attack, great change without a fight. You the bricks and whining on your